Uh, here we go. Hey, it's the inaugural episode of Fuck Your Agenda, Let's Talk To. And today we're going to talk to Jake Nager. Before we get in with Jake, explain who we are. My name is Joe Rinaldi. I'm here with Andy from The Reader, Andy Boyd. Hello. And we're going to talk a little bit about how the music business affects us, how the economy affects us, and sort of go off on a tangent that we started with the Not That Chris Martin and some of the other podcasts that we like so much. Exactly. It's a very apt description. What I think we're going to do is each episode we're going to have a guest, and that guest is going to be somebody important, either locally or globally or what have you, and we're going to interview that guest, we're going to see what they say, and then um, you guys are going to listen to it because it's going to be entertaining. So that brings us to Jake Nager. Jake Nager has a Grammy nomination. Jake Nager played with a trillion bands. Name but, a couple. Oh, goodness gracious. Well, I know him from Incredible Moses Leroy and Soft Lights and uh, absolutely got to have uh, Khalees in there. Khalees is absolutely crucial, who has a new record out this year. Super funny article. What's that? It's last year? You could say it out loud. Yeah, dude. Speak yeah, up. Yeah, it came out actually last year. Uh, okay. we'll, we'll, I'm going to circle back to that in a second. Sure, sure. But, you know, obviously we're going to talk a little bit more about the TV on the radio connection and uh, Lion and the Lady and uh, a trillion other bands. Like, seriously, Style Tones. Style Tones is a big cornerstone. It's sort of where we reconnected, which mm-hmm. was a funny story in itself where Jake scared the shit out of me. Like... You know, like, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this gentleman, you know. You seem to have dealt with it nicely. It's been fairly docile this evening. Thanks for coming. (laughs) Anyway, uh, you know, there's a bunch of good stuff in there, and there's there's a lot more. Jake's a super professional studio drummer, uh, working for the best, and we're going to talk a little bit about Los Angeles life and getting in and working with producers and working with... uh, uh, the recording industry and being the go-to guy for a bunch of super important recordings and that kind of thing, as well as being a guy you might find in the Atari lounge of the Casbah and that kind of thing. Jake, do you know anything about side projects? Oh, yes. How many side projects are you currently involved in? Just say 12, because no one can possibly count that high. That's true. I guess 12, yeah. Is so, it really 12? Or is that just an not estimation? Really. Okay. Probably but it was like Christmas and... We were trying to get a hold of Chris and do another podcast. Couldn't really make it work out for probably great reasons, you know, no animosity there. And like Andy and Brozo and I just wanted to sort of hang out. So we, came, I came over. There was like some sort of Lego building thing, mm-hmm. and that was fun. We're like, you know what, we have to do. We just got to come up with the fuck your agenda. Let's talk to, and then come up with whoever we can get. And why not get the best guy in town to talk to the first time out? Yeah, hey. but seriously. What we're going to do probably right off the bat early on in the podcast is we're probably going to run the Morning Becomes Eclectic and play that entire song. We'll probably gap that right into this thing, and we're going to probably imagine ourselves talking about it right after that. Because now we started the podcast, we ran right into that Morning Becomes Eclectic, because how proud are you of that moment? Very proud, man. It's probably one of like... One of my like highest achievements to date. It's not like you and I are strangers, and I'm like, "Hey, guy off the street, asking you some sort of personal no, no, question we about." Go way, we go way back. That's what I was gonna get to because <clears throat> I thought about this earlier today, and like you know Moses Leroy and Soft Lights and right. you know that core group of people, you know Ron and Christian and you and. Right. 
Lou Niles, and even John Loken. And guess what? I talk to every single one of those guys all the time. I talked to John Loken last week. I have wow. a cordial enough relationship with Ron that I talk to him every <clears> once in a while, <throat> and I see Lou all the time. Lou came out to the show on Friday, you know? That core group of guys, that's 1998. I know, it's crazy. You know? And it goes all the way back there. So then, yeah, it's not like I got nerve to ask you how it is to play with TV on the radio now and again. I kind of get to, right? Yeah, of course, man. But how did that how did that come about? Okay. <clears throat> Two years ago, a friend of mine named Todd Simon, who's based out of Los Angeles, he's a trumpet player and he does like arrangements. He works with Dave Siddick, who's kind of the mastermind of TV on the radio. And um <clears throat> They were working on Khalees's record. I don't know if you know who Khalees is. I saw the milkshake brings all the boy to the yard. Yeah, Yeah, milkshake. Her first big hit was milkshake, but before that, she's on that um, ODB track. uh, What's that track? I've got your money. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. That's kind of how she got her start. She was doing like you know backups and stuff like that. So. So he asked me just casually, he's like, hey, would you want to play on this record? And I was like, of course. He's like, trick question? (laughs) And he's like, okay, cool. Well, it's with Dave Siddick. You know, so somebody I've heard a lot about, you know, I knew TV on the radio. and So, you know, like a week later, I drive up to to L.A. And it's he's got a studio in his house. And it's like all these guys. It was like Ike Owens was there who recently just, right, passed, just away. passed away. He played keys on some of the stuff and just some other dudes like heavyweight, like LA guys that I didn't know. So we, we came in that first day and we, you know, we probably laid like four tracks and Khalees came and actually like made us the, there's a song called jerk ribs. Was the first songs we did and she actually made jerk ribs. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. So that's why we call that song. So it was just kind of one of those, like, it's just really magical nights. So <clears throat> ever since then, I, I hit it up with Dave, and we've done other, like, projects, recordings together. and um, Like what? What other recordings? <clears throat> we did... And it, you know, it doesn't matter how deep you get. The way that this thing works is when we put it up, sure. we put a super long list of links. Sure, sure, so sure. when you're talking about something in passing, it, sure. it, we, it doesn't get biased. There's going to be a link. Okay, Dave okay. Siddick and all those guys in any record that we mentioned okay. is going to be listed out, okay, like all music style. So the we worked with, there's this girl named Holly Miranda. Mm-hmm. That's on. He has a label called Federal Prism. Mm-hmm. And she's one of the artists. And we, we did like, we cut two tracks for her. And then there's an artist named um, Francisca Valenzuela. She's from Chile. And at the end of uh, 2013, I plan on like a couple tracks for her. Um, and then last year was kind of slow. He didn't really, I didn't really do much. And then he hit me up in late October. Like he's just, he's one of those guys that he just he'll randomly hit you up just out of nowhere. You know, do you have a fuel efficient car? Yes. Scion XP. Scion XP. So when you you get up there, it costs you what? About 30 bucks. 30 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. So, which is important, right? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I couldn't do it if I was ro- rolling in some gas hog car, <laughs> you know. And Sun XP is a very practical choice. What it, what, it, what it did, and it still does, is that it maximizes interior space per exterior size. Exactly, yeah. So for somebody who plays the drums, that's a very yeah, reasonable choice. It's a you great musician's car, you know. It's unfortunately not very fast. Can you sleep in it at the rest stop in Camp Pendleton? Yeah. <laughs> I have many times. Yeah. That's amazing. Many times, dude. Yeah, because, I mean, every time I come back from L.A. in the middle of the night, oh, yeah. uh, yes. I stop over there, and I stop <clears throat> just to go to the bathroom, but there's so many people asleep in that lot. That lot is oh, the yeah, Motel 6 for Oceanside. Yeah, it is. It is. Wow. A little while back, um, you put something out on Facebook that I thought was super interesting, and, in fact, I, I don't know if I meant to write you. I probably did. But you were trying to publicly muse about should you live in Los Angeles or should you live in San Diego? And you're trying to get some pros and cons and get Uh some people started on arguing about all the different. What four months ago to now, all that empirical data is now yours because everyone responded. What was the general public response? I mean, like, my friends in L.A. were like, you should move up. And then my friends here were like, you should stay. So it's kind of like... You, nothing resolved. Nothing resolved because, you know, people are like here. They're like, no, man, don't move, you know. But then people are up there like, man, you got to move up, you know. So I moved to L.A. in 1996. And um, I graduated from UCSD probably 1991. So blurry, I can't really remember the year. Right. And uh, But... There's, there's like five lost years there where I sort of stayed down here and languished. And I don't know what you know, but during that time I was playing in a band and putting records out. And my record got played on KCRW, Morning Becomes Eclectic, and got some spins with Trisha Howler and all those guys. And mm-hmm. uh, so we had to go up and do some showcasing and played a bunch of stuff. And that whole time I was collecting musicians to be in my band out of San Diego and then all of the interest was in Los Angeles. There wasn't really a lot of interest down here because down here was just down a different road. It was very Cargo Records. Yeah. It was very whatever John Reese is doing. And God bless those guys. I'm a huge fan. I go to a billion rocket shows. But, you know, you can't get out of a couple of genres down here without sort of being an outlier. Whereas in Los Angeles, every single possible genre has its own scene and a very, very developed one. And in retrospect for me, which is something I probably tried to communicate to you is, God, if I had it to do all over again, I probably would have made that move maybe two or three years earlier just to see if I could roll the dice out of that gene pool as opposed to this gene pool because this one sort of decided a couple ways. Sure. Do you feel the same way? You think you've got sort I mean- of... See, I, I, I lived in L.A. briefly back in 2009. Right. But that was kind of like when the economy took like a huge right like shit. That's actually the year I moved out of Los Angeles, right. by the way. So it was like just a few things happened and I just I was like, well, I kind of got to just go back to San Diego right now. I got to figure it out. Like I got to figure my shit out right now. And so I've kind of been... <clears throat> The goal was always to get back to L.A. Like, You can kind of always do both. You kind of always have both. Sure. You know, you, once you're sort of, you're you're a made man in these zip codes. It's done. You know, sure, you put sure. in the time and like, no one's really ever going to contest that. They're, who sure. would? That's silly, right? Right, right? But 
you're not necessarily in LA, except you kind of are. But within a certain thread, you just <clears> got to <throat> get up there and sort of widen that network a little bit. Just like every exactly. character actor in the movie business, you know? Exactly. The metaphor yeah. of fishes and ponds sort of comes to mind. Exactly. What's that metaphor? Um, big fish and small ponds and things. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> it's funny. I mean, I honestly, I thought that because in 2009, I had to move back here, but it was by choice because um, I was working at Live Nation. I'd worked all the way up to the very top of the concert business. And I was sitting at the same table that booked Sleep Train Amphitheater and booked, mm. uh, you know, Verizon Wireless and, <clears throat> you know, all these just giant theaters in the Wiltern and the um, Gibson Amphitheater, which is now gone, and all those right. places. Sitting at that table, doing all that work, and then the economy imploded and it was sort of last in, first out. So they laid off a bunch of people and right. it included me and you probably knew Brian Moore San Diego House of Blues and you know the guy in Vegas you know everything was gone and my whole attitude was well this is going to suck and it's going to suck for about three or four years so what better place to write out the suck than in San Diego which is exactly what I did I I wasn't going to really be able to reconstruct what I'd been doing in Los Angeles in the middle of that economy so I went and got a house on the top of Mount Soledad and brought my kids down here got them into bird rock schools and I'm like you know, if the economy is going to be horrible, this is the spot on the map where I'd rather be. You know, now it's a different world. Starting around sometime last year, it was obvious that it's a different world economically again. That stuff is moving in a different way. Can we talk about economics? Absolutely. As Why you know, not? I am an economics major and sure. love talking about economics. But so am I. And that's, I'm, a, I'm a good counterweight, Quantitative too. Quantitative economics. Well, yeah. I, quant I got respect for. But Okay. My question is, how did the... the failing economy in late 2008 or so affect your guys's daily lives in what senses were you guys um shunted by that i mean i was largely sheltered and really didn't experience much of it except for the gains nothing but gains why don't you go first you said you had to move because 2009 it got too tough to be up there i mean basically like i had a steady gig through scion ironically we we would get contracted to play um once a month, we would back up different hip-hop artists. So, like, we would go out for, like, five days and go play, like, four gigs, you know, including a travel day. It was it was a good, like, nice, nice gig, man. Like, I made some good money, and I was kind of, like, maybe naively, but I was like, well, I'm going to be in L.A. I don't really have work up there yet but like i had that so the 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 month that i moved up there it was like the, they were like yeah this is it's done it's over say easy come easy so go. i was just like okay sh- that shit. was like what am i gonna do you know that's sort of the same math for me um there's there's a nut for san diego and there's a nut for los angeles mm-hmm. and for me living in los angeles i needed to basically after taxes have somewhere near 5000 a month just to live. And yep. there's a lot of things that you don't have down here that you have up there. And one of them was private school for me. Uh, for your kids me, go to private school? My kids had to go to private Why school Why do your kids have to go to private school? Um, Is this the public schools really bad up there? Or? The public schools... It's a public school in LA. The public schools are really bad up there. And are if they? you're not super careful... I was in elementary school in Inglewood. It was fine. Wow. All right. Yeah, good for you. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm super impressed. Um, our kids, our choices. We looked at it, and we're like, ah, that's a bad decision. And so um, we had them in, in 
they weren't actually in grade school yet. Mm-hmm. So maybe we would have made a different decision. There was some dialogue. We were out in Venice. We would have put them in Beethoven, you know, nice ring to it, see if we can make it work out. Other hipsters were doing the same and being, you know, pretty brave. Yeah, let's let's try to figure it out. But um, the whole point of the matter was that was, you know, they went to mayor for uh, their preschool, and that was a thousand a month, a kid. That's right? a ridiculous amount of money. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> all that stuff, you know. And so then we got to figure, take them out of preschool, and then figure something else out, and all this stuff. But all that stuff adds up. So down here, the same life, uh, we were able to get it all together for around thirty-five hundred, and knock about fifteen hundred off, and that get, had him all in preschool, a really nice spot, and mm-hmm. you know try to figure out a way to pay for that and so that 1500 was a big motivating factor like you can live down here for cheaper and you don't know when you're going to get your next like gravy train style gig so you might as well plan for that all right that, that that's one thing in 2008 2009 you can't afford to be up there on the west side of los angeles living unless you had some sort of a top line uh, anchor gig, especially if you have a wife and kids. And so if you don't, you got to remanage that really fast. Did rent go up? I mean, obviously interest rates increased, so getting loans was harder. Rent actually went down. It was a deflationary period. Everyone had no money. We we were joking. Was in this the, before quantitative easing or during? It was way before quantitative easing. Uh, quantitative easing came in in a, in a big way probably March April, May of 2009. Okay. They, that's when they realized the depth that they, you know, creviced out, crevassed yeah. out of we their economy. Like... But um, no, it was deflationary. We, we were joking at Live Nation in the fall of 2008 that should we update our uh, credit card machines to take uh, twigs and bark in lieu of cash if the economy became a barter system because no one had a credit card or a debit card in, say, June of 2009 because we just didn't know. Interesting. Wow. Interesting. I was in college and, you know, was studying economics and it really paid off. So, yeah. Sorry for your suffering, guys. Yeah. No, no. It, it's a it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. It is. We're. I actually think it's more important right now to uh, really itemize the fact that it's a growing economy and the gigs like the Scion gig. I'm starting to see those things come back in the fall. Red Bull put together a massive citywide promotion in the city of Los Angeles, the Red Bull Sound Select that ran the entire month in November. And they had just the greatest concept on the planet where they're taking bands that you really wanted to see, you know, Death from Above and War on Drugs and uh, Future Leagues and and that whole deal. That's so weird that Red Bull spent so much money on advertising. Doesn't the product seem inelastic to you? This is with this. I don't. The I think that was a passive placement. The actual Red Bull itself, sort of thing. I think that what they were trying to do is they were trying to figure out almost a last ditch effort to monetize all these bands that they've signed. Like they Red Bull Records has signed a, a bucket load of bands. They have records, wow. right? And might so, as well. They're just throwing cash around. They have two Formula One teams. Right. How much money that costs? I don't know. Crazy amounts of money. I imagine it costs the same as having yeah. a trillion bands signed to a label. I think that they're probably know. in the. 700 million per year but i mean red bull sound select you remember the concept right let's put you know one of these bands like war on drugs on sale for 15 bucks instead of the 22 they might have got so it's an easy sellout and then we're going to put all the red bull bands on as the support bands so each one of these different shows 30 days throughout the month of november records well to be sure that everyone in la who's a leading edge tastemaker for the music scene across the country and across the world had full knowledge of what those bands were all about, and have those has that paid off? Have we seen an increase in the popularity it's, it's, of those it's bands? Way too soon to to interpret whether that's happened soon. or not. I yeah. mean, 
you could try. You could go onto the big analytics sites that run the music business, like Next Big Sound or you know Music Metric or Big Champagne, which is sort of buried into Live Nation at this point. But you can go onto those things and sort of gauge directly on a graphical format. Did they have bigger social media response after the November date because of the, all that exposure or not? You could you know try to extrapolate that at some point. Hmm. But that's a sign. That's a sign that they're doing stuff. You know, I yeah. mean, I, I think that that this uh, thing at Rose Bowl that's happening. You know, the uh, Sean White uh, uh, giant X Games competitor games that where they're going to put a giant snow ramp in the middle of the Rose Bowl and run this thing, you know, I think that's a pretty good sign that the economy is improving because that's a... What a waste of money. <laughs> or, you know, what what a giant risk that might have some reward that we haven't interpreted because people couldn't afford that risk in, say, 2011. So mm -hmm. here we are in 2015, and four years later, <laughs> hey, let's throw, you know, six to eight million solid out on a two-day thing in the middle of... that we've never tried before and run a winter games in the middle of Pasadena, California. Mm. You know, that that is... Elon Musk level risk. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not get into that quite yet. This brings me to an, another sort of interesting question, which I think both of you as experts would be able to answer, which is what are the main monetization methods of having a band? Obviously, there's records and live shows. Have we found any non-traditional sources of money for gigging musicians? Well, like placements is a big thing. Like right. if you can get your song in a commercial. What is, what's a royalty for a commercial like that? from uh, I, 10,000 to like upwards of like, it depends the size. I mean, if you're a famous band, you can get, if you're like the Rolling Stones or the Zeppelin, I mean, those guys can get top dollar because. But the, the Jet song in the iPod commercial. Right, I remember or, that. I remember yeah, that. I mean, those, things are, those things are all somewhere between 50 and 150,000 yeah. as a placement. That, that's a, you know, a game changer for a baby band, and it's nothing to an established band. And the established but, band will hold out forever trying to get more right. and more. If the commercial is popular enough, obviously that's going to increase reflected sales. I mean, going forward, that wouldn't that increase popularity of the band, people hearing that song? I hadn't heard of Jet before that commercial, but I'm also not paying attention. Yeah, you know, Jet was going to make it either way because they were singles-driven, radio-driven, big guitar, big drums, going straight at radio, and it was just... Well, that that song had already been out yeah. for, I mean, it's... I, I am somebody who is relatively unplugged sure, from the music sure. industry. I mostly listen to NPR, which I'm sure <laughs> has been established, but I pay the slightest bit of attention, but my perspective is different. Sure. So, apologize. So, for that's definitely questions. one way is, like, placements. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, really, man, just... I mean, I don't think record sales is really a thing. Does either. iTunes write you a check? I mean, like, is it significant money? It, that's pretty significant money. It's 67 oh, cents a, a track. I mean, no, it isn't. Is it really? I mean, there's 33 cents goes to them. And that's 67, it? Depends on whether you have a label or not. And if you have a label or a middleman, they're going to get some of that 67 cents. Mm -hmm. But the gross pool on an iTunes track that's at 99 cents, you know, to you, your label and representative and everything, is 67 cents. That sounds a, generous. You know, it's, not, Apple it's not horrible. Apple could be giving you a lot less money. I mean, it's it's the distribution you they have. You should hear people complain bitterly about the 33 cents they do get. Really? Oh, my goodness, yes. Well, I mean, compared... If that service didn't exist, you wouldn't have sold that song. You wouldn't have any money at all. If you gave me a cent, I'd still do it. I mean... I actually, I, mean, I don't understand the iTunes model whatsoever, and I've been completely proven wrong by the you know, I, sheer numbers. And because any song that's on iTunes probably has a video, 
And if it has a video, then you can go to YouTube or Vivo or Vimeo and see the video and get double your pleasure for the same thing. I have to admit, the only place I ever get music is iTunes. I yeah. pay money every single time I want a song on my That's phone. That's good. I mean, it, so it plays through. So I've got a list of songs which I've heard and I liked, and I buy songs individually. I haven't bought an album in years. It's just if I hear that song and I like it, I'll buy it. Yeah, I, I definitely am straight Amazon because yeah. Amazon offers an MP3 yeah. service. And, well, I have an iPhone, and I'm, so like it all syncs up nicely. Is the problem? And like I will, I could just go steal the song off the internet. It would take basically the same amount of time, but I would have to fix the tags on the track. So I'd have to add album artwork. I'd have to type in the artist, type in the song, type in the album, and to skip that process, I'll happily pay a dollar. Yeah, I mean. These are actually sort of antiquated arguments at this point because people are just going to do what they do. And some bands are just as happy to have any sort of traction at Spotify knowing that they're not going to get any money at all. But just to sort of answer your streams of revenue question, you know, every band that's investing in touring and investing in records has set up essentially a, a direct merch window where you can buy stuff directly from them. Right one way or another, all the way from the lowest levels of band camp all the way up to shirts and uh, autographed CDs and VIP experiences and all this different stuff. And they're trying to have that be a tangible revenue stream for them. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And then there was a super famous thing that came out about a month ago about that band Pomplemousse, who... Uh, There's a restaurant, Pomplemousse, that's really good. Right. What about the band? Well, the band actually, and ironically, got their biggest... um, move career jump from a commercial and i, I don't remember the commercial but I'm, you know, everyone knows they came from a commercial right you know and so they got out there and they were trying to ride that little bit of momentum and do some touring and it was probably very difficult they're probably sitting in that what 300 to 500 ticket range across the country and trying to make ends meet and the, one of the principal guys in the band wrote a big long economic survey saying yeah i did all this stuff and at the end of the day you know we lost ten thousand dollars doing this tour we weren't able to make any money at it they were just sort of netting out cost of transportation living expenses paying all these band guys that were in the van with them and you know some other guys came on and said you're not even doing it right that you should have been more diy about it that you couldn't you could have probably you know made some of the guys in the band take less money i mean it's true man (laughs) But at the end of the day, it made the case that is touring for 90% of bands a legitimate source of revenue, or is it sort of a promotional expense, and are they finding out the hard way what the label was talking about for the last 30 years, that you don't really make that much money at touring, but you're never going to have you know an impact in each one of the communities unless you do it. Interesting. How, how crowded would you say is the marketplace for musicians? It's not as crowded as it could be, only because it's so cruel. Yeah, I mean, you think people get discouraged easy if they're bad? Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, the, I, the, the feedback machine is on super fry right now, so if you're out there doing stuff, um, you're absolutely gonna get booed out of town if you're not gonna, you know, do a whole bunch of stuff right, and you're gonna have to. If you're doing something really right and no one gets it, you're gonna have to be really. Um, you know, resilient because you have to go into a market, a tough market like San Diego and play three or four times before San Diego will even give you even a remotely approving nod, I guess, you know. Um, How much do, for example, gigs at a club the size of the Marrow get? Uh, 
You mean how much? Uh, how much would an artist get paid to go there and set up all their stuff and play for forty five minutes and leave? It's on a range from zero to maybe fifteen hundred. Really? Okay. It's a pretty much the high side. I, I, that that venue's not known enough to like buy a three thousand dollar band. Like the the Casbah has a band playing that you might have heard of called the Church, right? And they're that's probably a thirty dollar ticket, and they probably gave them five or six grand to do that show and. They're probably pretty happy about getting the church, which is a super legendary band, Marty mm-hmm. Wilson Piper, all these people we know, that whole thing. But um, fun, fun fact, sorry to interrupt, but it just occurred to me when I went and covered that show at the Marrow. Yeah. Um, I took a picture of the band Flags. Yeah. And then it looks like that picture is probably going to get used on the cover of the music issue. So then we booked them for Reader on Tap. I saw that. Yeah. I saw that. Uh, so that was all your fault. Thanks very much. Yeah. And yeah. actually, wait, the Shady Francos, were they there too? Yep. Yep, both of those. Yeah. Look at you. You did it. That's awesome. <laughs> we did what? Yeah. <laughs> I typically can't tell the difference between good music and bad music, aside from like extreme contrast situations. One one of the bands there, without naming any names at the Marrow that night, wasn't my favorite band, right. I'll say. Um, but they, you know, that, that's okay. That, that's definitely happened. But two of them were really, really good. I really liked Flags, and I really liked Shady Frank. Yeah, I really liked, the, I liked Flags an awful lot. I, I liked all of them. I had, you know... There's a there's a couple of bands that were really really making a go of doing some strange stuff and I really appreciate it and yeah. you know there's but you know Flags is sort of on that short list that everybody's started to figure out that you know Lindsay's serious that this is her thing she wants to get out in front and do something who's, who's the bassist girl in that in that that was playing that night because I haven't I didn't see her on the website or anything like that right that's why I don't know. Because okay. uh, the the stuff I saw, the videos I saw, they, ironically, the very next night, um, that band was on uh, Sound Diego, uh-huh. and it was a different lineup. Hmm. So they'd already made a video. And they'd well, already that chick's <laughs> probably definitely going to be on the cover of the reader. So. Oh, sorry. Good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> As playing with flags. <laughs> nice. Whatever, she's pretty. All right. So then, in um, well, this is a really great subject, and I, I just got to know. All right, let's just say flat out. Lindsay's in the top 10 and just undeniable should be rock stars, maybe paying a price for being in San Diego, rock chicks in San Diego. Yeah, for sure. Who are the other nine? Other nine? Yeah. Like, that does... was a huge ask. You couldn't do four? Who <laughs> are the other four? I mean, yeah, um, I'd be happy with three you, or four, yeah. You got nine? I would say uh, Birdie Bardot uh, of yeah. who's, uh, the New Kinetics. I saw them, yeah. And me and Al Howard and some of uh, Matt from Malarious from Transfer, uh, we actually did a record for her that's coming out soon. And she's so she's gone solo. Well, she's kind of. I mean, she's still doing the New Kinetics, and she does this other project called the Rosalinds. Which it's like an all-girl thing um and, the, and wasn't and she in flags for a minute the car the guitarist from shady franco's played with her at the casbah on a couple weeks ago for whatever that's with, worth played with who uh new kinetics he's a guy he, he plays it with a, a real up high make cool face thing. oh yeah yeah josh curve. josh plays bass in the new kinetics okay from shady franco i can typically tell the difference between a bass and a yeah. guitar but not always um well, you've got some like, I mean Rebecca Jade. She's not. I mean, she's a great singer. Uh, she's not really on the rock tip, but I mean, she's a great, really good singer. I mean, 
Yeah, you CC from Little Hurricane. She's cool. I mean, there's not there's not a big pool like you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, I'd put Yuko from Little White Teeth on that list, but there's a reason why I would, just because I I mean, I play she plays in my full court basketball league. How awesome is that? You know, you're the drummer in Little White Teeth, and you know. You're out there in the Casbah scene doing all that stuff. I see her. She's come to. Mm-hmm. She came to a few Griffin shows. She's been promising to hit up a Marrow show here and there. But then she's also deadly from about 15 feet. Really? Yeah, no yes. doubt. Like, you know, they at first they, they the guys on the court. You know, there's guys that are like six eight and can dunk and stuff. Sort of think it's a joke when Yuko shows up because she's about five two and you know is, right. and they pay a price if they you know fail to. Heed the warnings. Um, mm-hmm. She's good from 15 feet. You may nice. want to cover her. Yeah. You know, and obviously I'm, I have to throw in uh, Leanna May from Whiskey Circle because she now bartends at Marrow and she bartended at Griffin. And, you know, we taught her how to bartend, but yeah. it, we, we taught her a second how to bartend, but now she teaches us. Like she figured it out so fast and, you know, they, wrote that article that was in San Diego and, you know, listed her as one of you know, the musicians who now bartend in town that, that matter and you should go see her on her shift, that kind of oh, thing. Okay. Where are you talking about your bartender at the Marrow? Yeah, but yeah. she's legitimately the front person uh, in a band called the Whiskey Circle. That, and she's quite good looking. Yeah. Well, um, there you have it. And I'm really good friends with her husband, Puck. Oh. And you know, <laughs> it's all super... <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know... Interesting one. Um, what was that band? Christine Huber and Monterey's. Oh, the Dirty Sirens. Right. And that band, that, I loved every second of that giant hot mess that was that band's short but you know fiery career. And they mm-hmm. were fighting and causing trouble and it imploded at the end and every, they said bad stuff about each other. But um, yeah, Monterey. That ain't nothing, you know? And she's basically, that's a big fish, little pond situation where she came out of sort of a modeling environment, decided to move down here and start a band for a second. And it was a loud rock band. And I thought that Christine was a perfect guitar player accomplice for the band, you know, very, you know, Mick Mars, if you will, for that band and uh, made a bunch of sense, you know? So, I, I mean, they... I wish that band was still around, and even though I don't think either one of them live in San Diego anymore, oh. they, they definitely would be on my top ten list, just the legacy from a year ago. Cool. But yeah, smart to put Rebecca on the list, just in case she ever hears the thing. Well, I mean, she's she's a great singer, man. I mean, you can't... You know, even though I play with her, I mean, I'm not I'm not like... Obviously, I'm a little biased, but even if I didn't, she's just like one of the best singers in town. Yeah, I mean, so. it's amazing, you know, Dee Dee, um, uh, she like got famous in San Diego and then split and got even more famous. Who? Oh, I'm going to forget the name of the band. It's going to be so embarrassing. Dee Dee. What they oh, 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 Dum Dum Girls. Dum Dum Girls, exactly yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, I mean, you can't go 20 feet without that band getting like rocket from the crypt level coverage in san diego media even though she hasn't really been here in like 10 minutes i mean yeah or 10 years yeah she they moved like a few years ago 
Yeah. And, it, you know, uh, I think Toy Rose, she's got. I've heard of that person. I'm probably friends with her on Facebook. I'm friends with a lot of people I don't yeah. know on Facebook, by the way. Tori Rose has one of the most awesome voices in yeah, town. Yeah, she's awesome. Who does dude. she sing? It's solo or whatever. She called? has a group called Tori Rose and the Hot Mess, and they've uh, they've been playing around for uh, probably like five years now. Nice. Yeah, I mean that's a pretty healthy list, you know. Uh, there's I mean, a, but there's a bunch, you know. Obviously, um, Thea from Social Club is probably on everyone's list because she's she's one of those you know, you, Thea and probably Priscilla Castro, who's probably not in a band anymore. She was in Wild Wild West for a second. Both of those people sort of transition too. They're in they were in bands or are in bands, but then they both are like promoters and uh, Priscilla books a lot of stuff at Hideout now and mm-hmm. but those two sort of had a moment on one side of the stage and then I had a moment on the other. What would you say are your most consistent projects? My most consistent yeah, projects? Yeah, so if, I, if I'm like going to go out to a show to see Jake, where am I going to go? And who am I going to see? Um, well, right now, I kind of focus in most of my energy on a group called Taurus Authority. Taurus Authority. Which consists of me on drums, um, DJ Greyboy, on turntables and he uh fires off samples and then there's a keyboard player named judd nestor who actually lives he lives in long beach so he comes down um we formed in august and uh our first show was opening for most deaf at, at the house of blues sick so we got a nice push like immediately and then you know we did a residency at the marrow in november and we just started a once a month residency at Bar Pink and we've been getting some like local love, like, you know, 91X, 94.9 and it's going pretty well. You know, I'm, I'm having fun with it. Uh, it's kind of got a different sound than what I've ever played before. And it, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of freedom in it and just like kind of based off our just spontaneous ideas, like, Every show we play is like different. Like the songs take a different form and a different shape. Like they're constantly evolving. Like we're constantly just kind of like flipping it all the time. So it's it, it never gets stale. So have you done one of those bar ping shows? Yeah, we just played one of the last week. How'd it go? It went good. Did you see the same level of um, rudeness in the crowd that Andy did when he was trying to take pictures? <laughs> Uh no 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 no. It's right. just I think it's just tight. It's just a small area. Is what it is. Yeah, it's, they don't have really good fire lanes in there. No and, no. I get, I, I, so I, I gotta get from to, one side of the stage to the other, and there's yeah. a pack full of people. I don't think I'll shoot. Don't ever go to a sold out troubadour show. And I say that whole rude thing in jest. I mean, what they do at Bar Pink, I think, is super phenomenal. You know. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a, it's a good bar, and I go there and I have drinks and, and stuff. But I don't think I'd go there. And I think a ton of bands that are super scared about the San Diego market, who are fr- afraid of selling ten tickets basically have got the word at this point you should really get a hold of dang and do a show over at bar pink because it's safe zone you get a friday saturday gig over there it's gonna be busy anyway yeah you're gonna have 200 people and it's the same with seven grand i was i steered a lot of people to seven grand like yeah you're kind of trying to do the belly up sort of thing but you, you that's not really what you want you probably want seven grand right now you should probably call those guys up and Mm. you'll you'll do better i have still been to seven grand i need to make a trip down there Oh, it's just never happened. It's a fun, 
I like playing there. I mean, yeah. it's always a good crowd. And what's this uh, band you have going with uh, Trent Hancock? Um, is it called Lady and the Lion? Yeah. Or Lion and the Lady. Lion and the Lady. Yeah. And uh, it's basically another Al Howard collaboration. He. Uh, Do you and Al have a competition? Uh, who can have the most affiliations to a known music <laughs> confab in San Diego well, County? We're, we're usually like in it together, so yeah. I wouldn't say there's a competition. But him and Trent collaborated on this project. Then he brought in me and um, Jason, who plays with the Heavy Guilt. So we did his record, and then um, we just played a show at Seven Grand like two weeks ago, opening for Jackson Price. And we're actually playing the Marrow. Yeah, February sixth. February sixth with uh, what is it? Bondurant. Bondurant. Yeah. Yeah. We're, um, that's that's interesting. So how did it go over with uh, Jackson Price? It was good. It was packed and. Yeah, they actually have a really good following. Yeah, they do. They do. And the, fun. the funny thing too about that show, which makes it particularly good um, for that band, any band with Al and Trent in it, is. Um, Jackson and Anthony are super connected with a female audience. Right. Right. And so you put Alan Trent and any of the girls who didn't know about them, they do right. now. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Trent's a magnet. He's a magnet. Oh, yeah. Is he a hot dude or something? What's going on? I don't know. Why do you guys keep saying that? I don't know. Um, why, why do you keep saying it like that? Nah, it, it's, it's a known thing. Trent used to do... Um, sort of a solo thing at the tiki room down at pb and he did this thing for probably 10 years and um he had like stalker problems like there were girls that like were seriously just sitting in the front and there's no security there and they'd have to can you just stand a couple back and giving him the googly eyes and yeah it was a big deal poor guy no it's just sort of that he's just sort of has a magnetism definitely yeah Anyway, that's why the Jackson Price thing is probably pretty good. Yeah, he does pretty well with the ladies too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was man, dumb story about Jackson. It probably cost me any like you know whatever even par relationship with the guys that uh, he brought some girl with him to see, not to see a band at Griffin, but he just happened to be at Griffin when. Anthony was there to do sound for Augustana. We did Augustana right. a couple of years ago, right? Sold out show. People paid 20 bucks to get to the thing. And it was really a down tempo show. They were doing the quiet songs. But Jackson brings some girl, and some girl was probably doing a loud rock star thing at the bar, being super loud with 198 other people watching the show. And we kicked him out. We're like, they don't, we, we, we don't do that here. So if you're not here to see the show, you know, these people pay 20 bucks. So it's not a bar gig. So if you want to tell jokes at the bar, you should probably go across the street to the Marina club because we're doing something else. Mm -hmm. And she wanted to fight me with Thread. Oh, wow. Nice. But yeah, I, I mean, I learned that from Largo up in LA. Just, you know, if it's that type of show, uh, and, you know, I talked to security, the whole thing, you know, it's one way or the other. Yeah, uh, you know, and those guys didn't obviously pay to get in, so they wanted to like pull the customer card. I'm like, yeah, what can I tell you? It's about the people who gave the twenty bucks. Sorry. Right. <laughs> I agree. All right, so we're back. Had a beer break. Yeah, and we're gonna 
get back into what we were talking about. Um, the first thing that I wanted to talk about, and I really want to hear from Andy about this too, because it's super funny to me. We were listing off some of the Yelp top 100 restaurants. And you have a huge issue with Yelp, and I want to hear about it. I don't necessarily want to talk about my huge issue with Yelp, because the people of Yelp San Diego have been very nice to me, and I definitely like working with them, and they have a great audience, and they built their company very strategically and very profitably, and I couldn't be like more impressed. I mean, that having been said, it's you know, it's not it's not the best system in the world. It's not the best system. It basically suffers from the definition of reporting bias, which is that you're only going to leave a review if you are super disappointed or super enthused. And it's way easier to disappoint somebody than it is to enthusiastically excite them enough to write a review about you. Jake, i got to ask you, is there a Yelp for El Rey Tacos? Yes. And have you read it? Uh, It's been a while. I mean, I... You you can't almost, right? Because it'll drive you crazy because somebody like... I mean, it's, it's tough to like read that stuff. When you have, when you're the business that they're talking about. Wait, what's, just, what's up with El Rey Tacos? What's going on? Family business. My family ah. owns, it's in Claremont. It's called El Rey Taco Shop. And we've been open four years now. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's like you get good reviews. And then it's like, you know, the bad reviews, it's kind of like, <laughs> it's kind of like people just make stuff up or you're just like, you kind of read it and you're like, eh. I don't know, man. Like, that's not really... You really, really, really want to argue back, but then you remember it's an internet fight, well, and then you really can't. Yeah, you can't, and you're just kind of like, okay, right, like, can't. we didn't... Like, one lady complained that we didn't have a salsa bar. <laughs> and I'm like, is that really a legit, like, complaint? And like, then we, gave you one star for not having a salsa bar. <laughs> yeah, I was like, really? Yeah, like, it, that, that's a that's a knock, because we don't have a salsa bar. And it only then, takes one thing to offend a person, but it takes everything to impress but them. But, I mean, yeah. this isn't really about that. I, I agree with your fear of wanting to offend the Yelp guys. It, it, you know, they are doing something. You kind of mm. know what you're going to get. And, you know, yeah, the Marrow had somebody who decided to have a manic attack and do two pages about how the girl didn't make a proper martini. And you're like, it's a rock bar. You know, if you go to the Viper Room, super famous story. Uh, if you go to the Viper Room and you ask for a martini, the guy will literally across the bar look at you and say, oh, so did you want to have a Jack and Coke? You know, just <laughs> Jedi mind trick. We don't make you a fucking martini. We don't. We don't have time. It's a speed bar. You can have a Jack and Coke. You can have a Corona. Do you get the menu? All right, let's go. Right. It's, it's like a thing. So then they go to a rock bar like the Marrow, and then they ask for a martini, and she made her best attempt at a martini, and they took two pages of Yelp to go after it. But the point is Yelp is doing something really positive with these top 100 lists, and they're putting some analytics and some metrics and some stuff behind it. I do it. really like numbers. And so you take some analytics and you're like, where is the biggest outpouring of positivity in the restaurant world across the country? And we're going to turn this. In 2014, they made a top 100 list. And Oscars was on it. Mm-hmm. right? And Zia's Pizza was on it in 2014. It made it in as number 100. Good enough, right? It's on yeah. Adam's Everett. It's right by your house, right? Yeah. And yeah. then this year came out and the second year in a row, Tea Deli's on it. And some great San Diego restaurants in Toronado and places like that are on there. And it's not just restaurants. They have a ton of gelato places and Vita bars and juice bars and stuff like that that make this thing. And it's just, if they can, through analytics, sense 
community affection for a place, they figured out a way to analyze it and they put this list out. And I, I'm really into it. I've got the two 100 lists from 2014 and 2015. I'm literally, that's a new checklist for me. I, I went to T Delhi today and I, I got to go. If people are that freaked out, it can't be horrible. Well, that's the thing. Again, reporting bias isn't necessarily bad on the top end. What it means is that everybody who is in the top 100 is really, really good because it's it's much easier to get a bad review than it is to get a good review. So ones that are good are typically really good. So that in it, you know, and if that's what it's being used for, that's a great idea. Um, but it can also be used by, you know, if you pay them some money for some advertising, it can benefit you as well. But I hope they wouldn't accept money for the top 100 list. But I mean, you got to have your top five super crucial restaurants in san diego not named el rey i you're asking me that i'm asking you that i gotta know um el zarape is definitely on that list they made that other burrito list from some other thing i don't remember google yeah, it. best burritos that. in the nation uh we'll we'll have that on the site they're great google. yeah uh fa saigon on el Cajon boulevard yeah definitely a staple for me nice um underbelly is pretty good the one in north park just opened a few months ago. I don't feel like I'm cool enough to go there yet. Really? Yeah. Uh, then let's go together. Because I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know I the mean, process. I, I've never been before. And like this is something I definitely should have done by now, and I haven't. Definitely got to give a shout out to Lefties in North Park and Mission Hills. One of my favorites. Nice. And then, These are in no particular order, by the way. Of course, of course. Um, and then for the last, probably be... Uh, like 60 restaurants vying for Jake's last spot in his top five. Man, I really like Kalima's as well on University. Damn. Because they got a really good, they serve pozole every day. What's pozole? It's like pizza? No, no, no. It's like a soup. It's Pozzoli is hominy with, with pork in it. So it's like menudo, but you add the hominy in it. Does it have any cow intestines in it? If it doesn't, it should. It no, should. it shouldn't. <laughs> no, but they, they make the bomb, like the pozzoli. All the other food's really good. They're open late, like because I'm. I spend a lot of time in North Park, so. Where do you live about? I actually live in East County, but I'm always in North Park. I grew either, up in East County. Or I had a either gigging or just hanging out. So I'm all in, you know on the the evenings. I'm over this way, so it's. Where convenient. in East County are you? Uh, Rancho San Diego. I'm, I'm familiar with that area. There's a Mexican food trap that doesn't suck there. There's a couple. Mm-hmm. It's all right. Nothing wrong with Rancho San Diego. No. I fantasize about like it's a getting a ranch. Very in, large uh, like, Chaldean population, yeah. which my father is Chaldean, so I'm half. Right. So that's kind of like my community out there. Mm-hmm. I fantasize so. about having a house in Hamel that uh, that has a... Um, Hamul? I don't have to say it right if I got enough money to buy a place, right? Yeah, it has cool. like, you know, six acres. Oh, yeah, thing. yeah, That's yeah. why people go to Rancho San Diego, too. It's like one of the last places that you're still like 30 minutes away from downtown. Not but even you, 30 minutes. Right. 94? No, it's like about 15. Yeah. It's and, pretty uh, close. But you can have like six acres and a well and stuff like that and like a serious piece of property out that way. Mm-hmm. I don't want any of that. <laughs> no. <laughs> too much house. Right. I, no, not right. I, I mean, I want to have the risk of my kids finding rattlesnakes. I mean, that, I found I mean, a lot of rattlesnakes as a kid. A lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. We used to take swords out and cut up cactus because it's so satisfying. But then snakes attack you. So have you ever played at the House of Blues? 
the one in San Diego. The one in San Diego. Oh yeah. The main stage and then also in the other room. Yeah, I've done both. The the one that's like on the Fifth Avenue side. Yeah, yeah. But oh, duh, because you'd already said Taurus Authority played with most F. Yeah, yeah, that was obviously on the main stage. Right. But yeah. <laughs> that wasn't in the Delta Lounge. No, no. It's no. not the Voodoo Lounge. Oh man. Oh, was it the Voodoo Lounge? So, but have you? Also then that, that's a good question. So, have you played at the one on Sunset? Yep. All right. You notice anything different between the two venues? Oh yeah, man, big time. <laughs> right. I, I I can't lead you, the witness, but you just can't. I mean, you can't even compare the two, man. Honestly, it's just. I don't know. I, I, is I, is that just be, you know San Diego's best chance at a great live music occasion, but not to be compared with national venues or what? Kind of. Yeah. I like I like uh, Belly Up as a cool place to see a show. Yeah, it's made of wood, right? Big yeah. difference, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to drywall painted like wood, right? Right, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, it sounds a lot better at the Belly Up. Yeah. Belly up just seems a little. It's just a little more pro, and it's a little, it's a little looser as well. Like right. I, I call House of Blues House of Rules. Yeah, it just. And funny, funny that you should ask ask me this because when we played that show, they wouldn't let me get backstage to like get my gear and leave because I guess most deaf had something where he didn't want people backstage while he was like performing. And I was like, dude, I just played. I want to get my gear and get the hell out of here. And the guy just security guy was just, just dumb as rocks and he just didn't get it. It was right. just so frustrating. You know, um, what's really funny having worked booking a house of blues, the, you know, amount of time that, myself and the other guys who were booking the various house of blues had to go and put those kinds of fires out because there was all these rules that had nothing to do with you um in place and i remember the guy at uh house of blues anaheim had to like send like makeup gifts to bands that had sold the room out because you know one band had gotten um had the Disney police come to the back dock and give them a hard time and threaten them with arrest because they were uh, kicking around a soccer ball. And so he like had to send the entire band and management like soccer balls saying, it's not me. It's not me. And I I did a Chris Cornell show at house of blue sunset and super happy to have made the booking. And they were asking if they could have a handheld video to document their presence in the room and all that. And uh, the live nation people had asked him for $7,500 as a licensing fee. And, it, they're like, we're never going to give you the licensing fee. We're going to show up with our camera. and It's a Chris Cornell show. And so you guys can choose when we're there. Do you want the show to go on or not? And I'm, the whole time you feel like as the buyer, you're talking to, you know, his fanatic manager wife. Uh, hey, it's not me. You know, I would never make drama out of these details because they're not going to profit anybody. And I get that. And just trying to go through it. And I'm sure that these guys in San Diego have to go through a lot of the same thing and probably more because I'm sure that the venue at some level is what's called plantation managed where their rules come from guys in Beverly Hills in Los Angeles and don't and so then a guy you know a former staff pro executive is now, a, is now a, right. a security guy at House of Blues enforcing a rule that makes no sense to anybody yeah exactly <laughs> but holy smokes you know belly up has figured out the formula Mm-hmm. And if you've ever, you know, spent some time watching a show at the Belly Up and then spent some time watching a show at the Troubadour, you can just 
your body senses the similarity of vibe. Oh, yeah, big time. You know, you, you can see the stage in both venues from three sides. The stage juts out into the audience. It's a, you know, come join us sort of stage configuration. Right. makes a bunch of sense. And, uh, yeah, the, they've both benefited, you know, from that exact configuration. The, the belly Up, you know, has been around for a long time, but everyone forgets the hardships that they deal with. That's a huge venue to have a 21 and up component you know where they're not allowed to have you know and the troubadour doesn't have that and neither right. does the echo or the el ray or house of blues anaheim or the observatory in uh orange county or any of those venues and so there they are uh, running their venue with a strict san diego only you know some would say super bullshit super arbitrary liquor law that disallows you know important bands from being seen by the entire population you know right there you have it. What's your favorite venue on the planet? We, pro- we probably named it, right? Uh, you know, probably Casbah. It's probably my favorite, to be honest. It's just, you know, it's just so intimate in there. And just, it's, it's just always a good time. You know, I've always had good shows there and seen shows there. It's just, What's your favorite show at the Casbah that you saw? I mean, I went to two Rocket from the Crypt New Year's. Oh, and, uh, yeah. You know, with hotels downtown and cabs already done and the whole thing. And, That's got to be And a, a date, time. which is a super crucial at the Casbah, by the way. Gotta have a date. You gotta have well. some access to the female population. It could be lonely. I gotta. <laughs> Is I, it a dude heavy sort of book? I think cool. the, the best show I ever saw was Prefuse 73. Yeah, okay. It was pretty mind blowing, man. I mean, it was, you know, it was a packed show and it was just great, man. Like, I just really dug what they were doing and it was just really unique and that. That one just really sticks out to me. I mean, I've seen a lot of great shows. I mean, the Style Tones opened for Rocket last year at the Casbah, and I watched that show. That was great. Like, I've seen X. I saw them at the Casbah. There's there's a lot of great bands that have come through that I've seen. I went to the Steve Poltz show where... um, he it was an auction, a charity auction, and he had a shirt on. He took his shirt off. He's like, "I fucked Jewel in this shirt, so I'm gonna sell it right now for two thousand dollars." And somebody paid some amount of money for it. Wow. And I just shouting That's... over the mic, shouting over the mic, "I fucked Jewel in this shirt. I Who would... wants it? <laughs> you would have to pay me to take that shirt. Yeah. I do not want that shirt." I'll pass on that. <laughs> and and uh, I went to, and this one's gonna probably get me a lot of flack, but it was really one of my favorite shows ever. There, I went to see uh, the Alanis Morissette show where they played at the Casbah when You Oughta Know was um, number one in the country, and it was a super, super underplay. And the drummer was Taylor Hawkins, and it was just like that whole thing, you know. And then I can list the shows I missed at the Casbah either because I didn't live in town or just couldn't figure out a way to, you know, Jedi mind trick my way into the place. But, um, you know, obviously the early Foo Fighters shows that were going on there were super crucial and... That whole thing. And I went, you know, I saw Drives Like Jehu at the old Casbah. And, oh, wow. You know, What's the old Casbah? Uh, Casbah used to be an uh, 80-person coffee shop that turned into a bar that then turned into a venue. And it was where, what's it now? 
It's the Kava Lounge. Yeah, Kava Lounge. So right up Kettner. Oh, yeah. Past the rental car place. By Saffron? No, 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 no. On Kettner. Oh. I have no idea. I believe you guys. On the other side of the five. Super small. I saw John Doe at the old Casbah. And um, he was fighting with the sound man who usually was also the same guy as the bartender. But in this particular case, they brought a guy in to do sound because probably his writer required it. And like they almost got into a fist fight, and the the guy on the um, sound guy had had enough of John Doe. So like when John Doe mouthed off about the sound again, he would feed it back right into the guy's face. Wow. Like it was it was like literally ready to go into a fist fight. It was nuts. Fun, nice. Nightly dredge. I'm yeah. trying to think. You know, obviously, um, I have the same level of affinity. I, I I think that my favorite venue in the on the planet is the Viper Room for probably a lot of the same reasons i've seen a, seen a trillion shows yeah. a lot of them i did you know but I, you know prints and nonsense like that is way out of scale stuff but those are casbah and the vibe room are homer choices so we're going to remove those and now we're going to go one more step into the same game okay we're going to start with andy though what what's your favorite venue to see a live show and it can't be either the vibe room or the casbah okay the griffin too bad it doesn't exist anymore that's like a kind of other Homer choice. We're going to throw all three out now, and we're going to start again. Ready, I, go. I, I did enjoy the Griffin, you know, when I was, when I was still around. Yeah. I mean, look, the Griffin is, when they asked me to come and look at the place and didn't hire me to book it and wasted six months and bad first impressions and went with someone else to try to figure out the the vibe of the place, when I went and saw it the July before the September opening, I went in there and I said, you've got a great venue on your hands. You've got great sight lines, a ton of parking. It's a, you know, you can make this thing work. It'll be super good. You're probably going to have some issues talking to people into going to see a show at Claremont. You know, but out of that, you probably got something. They went with it. They did a lot of the stuff I asked them to do. They said, oh, so I I should put booths in like it's the Viper Room? Yeah, yes, you should. The next time I set foot in the place, there were the booths, all made of leather, and they did all that stuff. But they had run the gamut of bad decisions early on in terms of how they were trying to book the place, overpaying the wrong bands and, you know, having a bunch of not so great nights that just out of randomness and then having the headwinds of it being in Claremont slash Linda Vista while they're trying to make it go. And by the time I got there, I had to turn all that stuff around and it took a lot of extra time. You know, a lot of them had seen the place before already, and they'd already made their decision about the place. Well, you, you're not going to get that great a band. No one's ever going to go play there. And, you know, in my second month, I got Band of Skulls. I'm all, no, we can get great bands to go and yeah. play there. But three years in, the headwinds about getting people to go to the former O'Connell's, which was right a biker, racist meth bar. You know, <laughs> you, you can't deny it. You can't deny it. When... I went in there, literally, the secret inside the company motto about the Griffin was no longer a meth lab. You know, that's that's what we thought of ourselves. Like, we knew what was going on there. And it's before there was Coronado Brewing, before there was Bird Rock Roasters. Like, there was literally not a single thing on that stretch. The only sort of friend we had was the brick by brick before they sold to the new brick by brick. So those guys in there, like whatever, two years decline. You know, imagine that is your set of amigos trying to make a way for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the vibe inside, you know, I started to get a bunch of people there. They felt comfortable, you know, and I mean, I heard every trick in the book though. Like 
oh, I got to drive from North Park and I get a nosebleed if I have to cross the 8 freeway. <laughs> you know, like, it's true, you know? It's like from North Park, it's seven miles. Yeah. From Hillcrest, it's three and a half miles. It's on the same freeway exit used by the CHP from their headquarters. Like, what are you going to do, you know? You know, can ask all kinds of people to take an extra risk to come out over there just because it's a nice looking room. Well, what would get me there is a good band, and what won't get me there is whatever's there now. I don't know. It's by the Regal Beagle guys. Seems right. pretty cool, but I haven't been there because uh, they, they've suddenly <laughs> turned into very good advertisers. <laughs> they haven't advertised with that much. Oh no, that's not true. That's really? not Where true. They, they, they're big at the Reader. They they're big at no, City. Not. Oh yes, they are. I work for the Reader. No, they're definitely not advertisers. Uh, okay. So, yeah. So, how much money do you have in your pocket right now? I don't have my wallet in my pocket. Right. So, I'm going to go 20 right now that the marijuana is affecting your ability to gauge who the ads are in the reader. I, I'm willing to take this bet, to be perfectly honest, because I'm, I am, You're the I'm judge, so right? sure about this. I work on the sales floor. I know who's filed on the account. I know how much it's money It's really funny, too, because that sidecar ad says, no, or formerly the Griffin. Does it really? <laughs> I'm suddenly less confident. <laughs> it's, it's super funny too because their their whole ad campaign is douchey divey. You know, I don't. I'm not here to insult. Why them. haven't I been doing? Cool I, mean, I actually did their walkthrough when they were going to buy the place. I did the walkthrough, and I, you know, whatever you guys need, you ask me anything you want, do whatever. If if you guys are really into it, if this is the spot you think is going to, you know, accentuate the success of your portfolio, then man, have at it. You know, and you know, what can you do? But um, that results are predictable you know you're on a corner that still is famous for math uh still has the marina club right across the street you can walk out the street walk out the door of the griffin and what do you see four felony level criminal enterprises right in a row a hooker hotel the marina club a former pot dispensary and maybe there's only three but you know you get the point <laughs> some Those other are, thing oh no there is another thing because on the other side is a pimp next to the hotel famous pimp that the cops all say they're scared of I don't think I've ever, ever, ever seen a prostitute in my life. I don't think it's ever happened. Oh, and my God. So funny. <laughs> I'm sure it we has, were... but there's nobody that I've seen like that girl's a prostitute. Not when, a single time in my entire life. I used to visit my uncle and my grandma in their restaurant in Stockton, California, in the down seedy part of Stockton. The whole city's seedy, but that was a really seedy part. And um, so they owned a restaurant downtown, Felix and Betty's. In fact, if I ever open a restaurant in San Diego, it's going to be Felix and Betty's. And, you know, straight into the pot. You get the point. So... <laughs> They had a great restaurant downtown. They were closed during certain hours of the day, and so they had this big glass front. And so um, I was there. They, you know, being nine or ten, and I'd wash dishes and stuff. But then I had some free time. I go out to the front window, and there were the hookers, right there at the glass, nice. working that corner. And I'm all, Grandma, Did you what's get one? that? No, <laughs> no, Grandma, what's that? And my grandma was unabashed. She's, that is a prostitute. <laughs> And that is a prostitute, and that is a prostitute. There's about eight of them working this corner right in the middle of the afternoon on a Wednesday. Nice. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> that is nuts. You've never seen a prostitute? I don't think so. Prostitution's changed since you got out of college. Yeah, it's on the internet. Right. It's a lot like delivery marijuana. I mean, I imagine. Again, <laughs> it's never happened. And I don't, I don't lament it as long as everybody's a willing participant. And obviously, it'd be nice if they would get inspected and legalized. I that way, that way they would you, not that, be. You've already outed yourself as the least uh, applicable judge of what a prostitute should do, having never even seen one. Right. No, I have no idea. I'm right. just saying, like, but if they could, if it was legalized, then they would have to have, you know, inspections and you know, 
I was out not in, be trafficked or whatever. I was out in Vegas, and um, my partner out in Vegas, we were doing a startup out in Vegas, helping a club get open, and spent like about six months out there living at the Rio. And um, my partner had a strong affinity for the prostitutional arts. And so he had figured out all of the electronic stuff and all of the Craigslist stuff and all the stuff stuff. And I have funny things. Like I bought one of my cell phones from a prostitute just because she had one she really needed to sell really fast and had a clean ES in the whole deal. She's like funny stuff. It was sort of, you know, that's the that was like the guy I was splitting my room at the Rio with while working. It was like there's a whole like, same as dorms in college if there's a thing across the doorknob don't come in go shoot some more craps and i'll let you know yeah. nice and i literally Sounds like fun rather than relationships i'll just yeah i've got about five on speed dial and i'm a fine yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's super nuts what, what when you go to vegas um what um venues have you played out there beauty bar um no Actually, in Vegas, we played. I played a place called the Hunt Ridge, which right, right, right. it's not even. It's gone, right? Right. It's an old all ages venue. And then <clears throat> I played some random casino out there like three, four years ago. And then just in December, I was out there and we played the Video Game Awards. Yeah, which is at um, Planet Hollywood. They have a venue. Right. They have a theater. Right. So that was, yeah. So back in December, I was actually just there and we did that. But yeah, I haven't, I've only like played in Vegas a couple times. They're trying. They got Beauty Bar, they got Bunk House, and now they have a Brooklyn Bowl out there now. It's not oh, just House of right, Blues. Right. And they've got um, a live on the Sunset Strip version of Hard Rock, and they've got the joint. And now inside the Hard Rock, they got Vinyl, which isn't, you know. <clears throat> 600 person pretty decent little venue in there i saw andrew dice clear there that's cool yeah but you know nothing wrong with vegas it's it's too hot there's nothing i want to do there really yeah i can get drunk here and i don't gamble you don't have to gamble in vegas do you well, like, what else you like, are you gonna do you like pools at all i, yeah, I go <laughs> i go to pool yeah, yeah all right okay that's uh, i go to pool yeah i mean there's all kinds of stuff i the quality of restaurants in Las Vegas is is unbelievable. Okay, it, it, it's super weird. It's to, totally out of scale. Um, we were talking about San Diego being an incubator for restaurant concepts. Um, when those things mature and they find out who the winners are, the winners go to Vegas. You know, that's just sort of how it works. They don't incubate restaurant concepts in Vegas. They take proven winners and make them twentyfold. Mm. So like, the Palm that's out there is, you know does four times the business that the Palm in Los Angeles does, you know, after 30 years of history, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Tons and tons of those kinds of examples. Nice. So thanks for coming out. Thanks for coming and doing a podcast with us. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Um, I'm going to finish with a weird subject. Um, You know, these kinds of things, are fun because you get a chance to talk to people. Some people are, there's not a lot of mystery left as to, you know, what Steve Poltz is all about. Cause you're with the guy for like five seconds and yeah, right. he's like so crazy on a lucid day long, 24 hour acid trip at this point that there's just no turning him off. You know, that's not Jake Nager. You know, Jake is a little bit like, you got to go find the guy and then you got to go, figure a few things out to get the guy to say the first word to you. 
<laughs> is that true or not true? Um, a little bit, man. I'm I'm not the most like outgoing dude, but once I get to know somebody, I'll I'll open up. Would you yeah. call yourself approachable? Oh no, I'm approachable for really? sure. You're gonna go with that? Uh, you're not you... fucking approachable <laughs> at all. Okay. <laughs> every single, every every single factor in approachability. I mean, uh, you're giant. You know, you're six foot four. And, I mean, you're not generally saying, "Come up, I'm gonna hug you." You're basically saying, "I don't know you," and yeah. that kind of thing. It's, no, there's no shame in that. You're just sort of like figuring things out like everyone else. But you know, at the same time. You know, I had a funny experience. My buddy Lou Niles from 91X, you know, he's got his new gig at 91X. And finally, after 10 years, and um, he's, uh, you know, used to be sort of front page news with them. And now he's sort of got his gig. And we were at the Mara watching the show on Friday. And a guy came up to him, just came up out of the blue. He's like, hey, so you're that guy from 91X. And I'm, I'm sure it meant the world to him. I was like, yeah, this thing. I remember this thing from before. And the guy just wanted to ask him some questions about, like, the new observatory deal and that whole thing. And, mm. You know? I think that stuff's super interesting, and I wonder whether or not um, people have tried. People are like, so, man, you're, you seem like you're in, like, ten bands, you know? What's your secret? <laughs> Do people try that? Boys, girls, the, anything? Mm, not really, man. It's not that kind of scene, huh? I mean, sometimes musicians will ask me, like, how do you get... How do you get work and how do you get gigs? But if it's just sort of in fandom, you feel like you chase them away or not? I mean, probably. (laughs) Not not intentionally, but I'm just kind of not, you know. That's the funny thing. The funny thing is you couldn't be a nicer guy. And so you've got this crazy disparity in between... When someone runs into you at the Casbah or the Soda Bar or Bar Pink, you know, they're probably going through some level of intimidation about like probably asking you some question that's on your mind, on their mind. Mm -hmm. And they probably don't understand the back end part of it is like, yeah, you know, you're probably a maker's mark away from, you know, hearing five or six things you, you know, answers to your questions you probably wanted to hear. Sure. Right? Yeah. Right. I'm just here. I'm, we're finishing it off with that. It's true. It's true. It is the nicest guy in one of the least approachable sort of costumes <laughs> you're going to run into in San it's Diego. True. So if you see him, everybody just please approach him. With yeah. no, What would you like people to approach you with? If some stranger was going to walk up to you and say something, what would you like them to say? What are your choices? <laughs> what are my choices? What are, yeah. your, what are my choices, man? I, can I get a... Can I get a... <laughs> That's too hard of a question. I know that's too. It's going to depend on the person. So, by demographic, I I think it just it depends on the context. Right. What would you like to have a conversation about? Where can I go between two and four a.m.? Right. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Where's the after parties? Right. Yeah. No. Twenty. Where Where can we get a table at one forty-five? That's going to go three courses deep with cocktails. Shut the Shut the blinders and keep the cocktails going. Right. Right. It's important, man. Nah, you're you're a good guy. I'm really glad glad that you came out and hung out with us for a second. And um, I know that a, a ton more people are going to be super fascinated just to hear your opinions about stuff. And um, mm-hmm. that'll make it a, that part of it, that part of it, which is was sort of my goal all along, mm-hmm. that much easier for people to find a point of relation and step up and say, I can't believe that you're here playing at Bar Pink and you know 
there's a Grammy nominated guy standing in the middle of it all. And, you know, mm-hmm. here we go. Nice. All right. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll catch you next time on Fuck Your Agenda. Let's talk to whoever it is next episode. There you go. Yo, uh, we about